This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We have two stories on Target USA on this episode. First, the secret, insidious way disinformation moves around social media. So what we have seen uh, is, especially on uh, social media, uh, some of those main narratives, anti-Ukraine narratives, anti-NATO narratives, anti-Western narratives. Urve Eslas is a disinformation expert in the Estonian government office strategic communications department. She says the flames of disinformation on social media are being fanned. Especially in Russian language social media. So, how do they fight back? So, we try to build trust between uh, government institutions and NGOs, uh, media organizations, and also between people. Our second story, the Michigan State University mass shooting. Sean Turner, a professor was there. It, uh, it was unusual that I was on campus. I had left campus earlier in the day, but uh, uh, I was out running an errand and realized that I left something in my office. So I headed back to campus and it was just after I was on campus heading to my office that we received an alert. He's also the former head of the Office of Communications for the Director of National Intelligence. He's got a very compelling story to share. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Disinformation. We talk about it all the time, but we don't really face it every day like people in Eastern Europe do. We sort of fantasize about shutting it down on our phones and turning off our computers, but it doesn't work that way. In Estonia, there's a government office that's set up to do nothing but deal with disinformation. Urve Eslas is a disinformation expert in the Estonian government office strategic communications department. You work for strategic communications, and I know that disinformation is a big part of the work that you do. So tell me at this point, what is the big challenge? What is the main area or subject that you're focusing on right now? Since last year uh, uh, and since the war in Ukraine, we have seen some uh, disinformation concentrating uh, on uh, security issues specifically. Uh, and uh, 
luckily Estonia is not uh, the main target of Russian disinformation at the moment. But we have seen uh, those disinformation pieces, information operation pieces, uh, reaching Estonia indirectly. And I can tell you they are not less harmful because of that. So what we have seen uh, is, especially on uh, social media, uh, some of those main narratives, anti-Ukraine narratives, anti-NATO narratives, anti-Western narratives, um, have been uh, amplified on uh, Estonian social media, especially in Russian language social media. And since Estonia is going to have elections uh, this March, uh, some of uh, populist politicians have noticed that those topics, especially socio-economical topics regarding uh, war in Ukraine and Estonian help uh, to Ukraine, uh, these gather a lot of emotions mm -hmm. and a lot of engagement of local people. And that's why they have uh, found this useful tool for also gather their intention uh, to, to find more voters and supporters for elections. So in some weird way, we have seen those disinformation narratives travel from uh, Russian domestic uh, media to Estonian uh, public discourse uh, via uh, social media and uh, Russian language so populist politicians mm -hmm. in Estonia just before elections. So how is Stratcom dealing with this? There has been several ways how to deal with this topic. Uh, some of those we can do directly, some of those we can do with partners and uh, other organizations. But there's one thing that we have discovered uh, that might be the most efficient way to do this and this is trust so we try to build trust between uh, government institutions and NGOs uh, media organization and also between people just ordinary people so that they would trust their neighbors uh, and so on and so forth um, and can I tell a story now this conscript briefly yes yes so we have one uh, example to show that uh, trust might be crucial when we're talking about disinformation and especially fighting it. So um, some times ago, there was an incident in Estonia uh, when a conscript who wanted to have a cool memory from his served time decided to shot himself into shoulder. Uh, Estonian media reported this, uh, obviously, uh, a day after that, we received uh, or a government institution, uh, more specifically um, uh, Defense Forces, received uh, email from Sputnik, which is Russian disinformation outlet. Yes. Uh, questions uh, asking, uh, is it true that the conscript was Russian speaker? Is that true that he was uh, shot during escape attempt? And was it true that he was actually uh, denied medical help because he was Russian speaker? So defense forces understood that there's no way answering those questions without seeing this turned into disinformation piece. So instead of answering questions, they sent those questions to uh, Estonian media. Mm -hmm. Estonian media published the questions and people understood what actually was happening. Uh, the, this was 
quite successful attempt to disrupt this disinformation uh, to spread or even to create it because Putnik never wrote the story. Mm. It was senseless at this point. And that was possible because of a trust in society. So we had uh, media outlets who trusted government institutions and people who trusted media outlets. Yeah. So that's why we were able to kind of expose Bundik's attempt to, to spread this information in Estonia. That is the objective of media, trustworthy media, to act in the public interest, convenience, and necessity of the public. That's what our mandate here in the U.S. is, and I gather in all democracies to do that because we are, some people say that media are the surrogate for the public because the public can't be everywhere. We get paid to go everywhere to tell the truth about what we see and what we know. So that's a great story about how that works. We're one year into this war almost. Have you seen any uh, interesting signs or changes in the way in which the work that you are doing to push back this disinformation how people are reacting to it. Yes, we have tried to measure both uh, short-term impact and the long-term impact regarding uh, disinformation narratives on Ukraine and especially Ukrainian refugees because we uh, host uh, quite of many uh, of those lovely people. Uh, and what we have uh, found is that even though uh, short-term impact uh, is definitely there, uh, there, luckily, we haven't noticed any long-term impact yet. And how we measure this long-term in- impact, we do uh, public opinion polls to where we, we ask those very same questions uh, which are spread as a part of uh, disinformation on social media to find out how people really think. And luckily for now, we can say that the support to Ukrainian refugees and supporting Ukraine as a country is quite high, it's over 72%. So we can say that even though the Russian disinformation narratives regarding Ukrainian refugees and helping uh, Ukraine financially and with arms, uh, despite of all that, the support is still high. What is it that we in the West can learn from what Estonia is doing? to fight disinformation. What is the, what are the one or two key things to know about when facing what might be Russian disinformation? What, what should we know about fighting against this or dealing with this? So there are a couple of things. So first, uh, to understand what Russia is uh, and what Russian disinformation is. So Russia lacks uh, any kind of quality fantasy. This means that all the disinformation pieces they create are based on local problems. Russia is not able to create any problems. They just use those problems which are already there. And that means that you can prepare it. You can actually uh, find out what are the most, most important issues what your country has and be ready that those will be used by Russian disinformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second point would probably be that 
there is no one silver bullet to fight disinformation. Uh, we all wished there was, but there just isn't. So this means that we have to use several different uh, ways to fight it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. We have to expose what they're doing, their tactics, their techniques. Uh, at the same time, we have to work on media literacy to educate people how to defend themselves. And also we have to build trust. And perhaps building trust, as mentioned, is the most important of those three. Urva, thank you. That was Urva Eslas. She's a disinformation expert from the Strategic Communications Department in the Estonian government office. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Our second story today, another tragedy at a school, this time a college, a university, Michigan State in East Lansing, Michigan. A gunman killed three students, wounded five other people, then took his own life. One of our friends was there. Sean Turner is his name. You may remember him from being head of communications in the office of the Director of National Intelligence in Washington. He's also worked for the National Security Council, the Pentagon, and various other places. And he shared with us his view of what was unfolding there. Sean, we're glad you're safe, um, but we're, we're sorry for that situation there. How are you doing? Well, thanks, JJ. Uh, it is, uh, it's been a difficult uh, 18 hours here at Michigan State University. Um, uh, fortunately for, uh, for me, all my colleagues, all my students are safe. Uh, but uh, right now we are really focused on those families who uh, sometime last night, uh, early this morning, received uh, that uh, horrible news that uh, they lost a loved one. So a uh, difficult time, uh, but uh, unfortunately, the kind of thing that we are getting all too familiar with here in the United States. Sean, unpack what happened um, as it as it happened for you, because I believe you were on campus when this took place, right? Yes, I was. Uh, in fact, uh, it, uh, it was unusual that I was on campus. I had left campus earlier in the day, but uh, uh, I was out running an errand and realized that I left something in my office. So I headed back to campus. And it was just after I was on campus heading to my office that we received an alert. Uh, that alert uh, indicated that there was an active shooter situation on campus and directed everyone to shelter in place. Um, I was in my car, uh, literally driving at the time, and I, I made the decision to go ahead and uh, get off campus. Um, at the time, JJ, uh, you know, you know, we we get alerts on campus when when things happen. Um, the university is very good about that. So, at the time, I thought that this was likely a situation where, um, you know, maybe there was a you know a loud noise or something along those lines. But you know, nothing nothing all that serious. But as I was leaving campus. Uh, I'll tell you, JJ, the response was overwhelming. Uh, it only takes a couple of minutes to get off campus. And before I was off campus, um, I saw law enforcement uh, vehicles from multiple different jurisdictions here uh, around East Lansing. 
And it was really clear to me at that point that we had a very serious situation going on on campus. Um, I, I should also say that, you know, this was this was around 8, 18 p.m. last night. Uh, Michigan State University is one of those universities where there are a lot of classes between 7 and 10 p.m. And uh, even the class that I teach on Tuesday evenings uh, gets out at 8 p.m. And so this would have been this would have happened at a time when you would have had a lot of students uh, leaving class, moving about on campus, getting from place to place, getting back to their dorm rooms. Uh, so this happened at a time when, um, you know, there would have been a lot of activity on campus, which uh, makes this whole situation all the worse because uh, those students had no idea what was going on. So once you got the word that this was taking place, you tried to leave campus and clearly couldn't. Um, so you made a decision, I suppose, to go someplace or back to your office or wherever you can tell us. But um, what did you do next and what took place while you were wherever it was that you went to? Yeah, well, well, I, I was I was able to, to, to leave campus. So my experience in leaving campus was that uh, as I was leaving, uh, there was an overwhelming uh, uh, convergence of law enforcement on campus uh, at the time. So I was able to, to, to leave campus. Uh, and get back to my home, which is only about a mile and a half away from campus. So very close. In fact, even when I when I got home, I could still hear the sirens uh, heading toward campus. Uh, so I, I got home, and as I typically do when uh, there's a report of uh, some sort of uh, a criminal activity, uh, I turned on a police scanner, and um, uh, I, I began to listen in on what was happening. And as soon as I turned that scanner on uh, and began to hear. Uh, the uh, law enforcement officers uh, say that uh, they were that's confirmed that shots were fired. Uh, I, I realized that that was the start of uh, a really significant event here on, on campus. Uh, I spent about the first uh, 10 or 15 minutes listening to the scanner and then began to reach out to my colleagues who were um, who I knew that there were some colleagues who were back in the building. So we began to reach out to those colleagues to make sure that they were abiding by the shelter in place and that they were safe. Uh, and I'll tell you, at that point, JJ, we, get, we began to learn that not only were there uh, uh, students all over the campus who were locked behind closed doors, stacking chairs against doors, um, you, you know, there were students in dark rooms turning lights off. Uh, we, we had faculty members who were hunkered down in their offices, not knowing what to do. So at this moment, and this is just within uh, 15 or 20 minutes of that first alert, uh, the campus was essentially uh, in a state of, uh, of chaos as everyone was trying to figure out what, what, what happened and trying to stay safe. When did, when did it become clear to you that um, this was over? Did, was there some kind of uh, notification that everything had uh, been sort of resolved there? W were you able to hear that on the scanner? When? How did you find out that this essentially yeah. was beginning to, I guess, move in a direction where police thought they had something in terms of this person? You know, for several hours, uh, well, maybe not several hours, it seemed like a long time, but for at least uh, an hour and a half, uh, I and many other people listened to the scanner and, you know, JJ, what happens when you're listening to a police scanner is uh, in a situation like like this, um, everything begins to look suspicious to the people who are who are in a lockdown situation or people who are moving about. So we went through a period of time last night where uh, there were reports of additional shooters. There were reports of, of explosives being on campus. There were there were multiple reports 
of shots fired in multiple buildings uh, on campus. And all of that happens because of what people are going through when they're experiencing a crisis. And so uh, it took us some time to really sort of weed through what was actually happening. So I, I, I'm confident in saying that uh, there was this sense that things got got worse before they got better. Um, but um, as uh, as everyone now knows, uh, there was a moment in time uh, late last night when we began to uh, realize that uh, there was a lot of police activity off campus. And as I said, I'm about a mile and a half away from campus, but I'm about a half a mile from a road called Lake Lansing Road. Uh, for anyone who's been following the story, uh, we we now know that the shooter made it off campus and was actually walking down Lake Lansing Road when uh, he was noticed by a law enforcement official and uh, and approached and and ultimately took his own life. So uh, I I knew this was I knew that something was happening that might bring this event to an end uh, when I began to hear helicopters flying overhead and focusing on an area about a half a mile away, away from uh, my home uh, where uh, Lake Lansing Road is. At that point, uh, uh, we we learned shortly thereafter that, uh, as I said, this individual had been, at, been, uh, been approached and had taken his own life. Well, this is a disturbing situation. I'm glad you're okay. Um, I'm hopeful that this never happens again, but I almost feel ridiculous saying that considering the political state that we're in in this country, but I'm not here to discuss politics. But I'm just hoping somehow, some way, we get to a point where we can make places and life safe again for students and for people and for, 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 for anyone. Um, yeah. And um, thank you for, 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 for giving us this information and sharing this very important story with us. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you think is important? Well, you know, one of the things that I've been uh, asked about a lot, JJ, is, uh, you know, how and why was this individual able to walk into buildings on campus? Uh, and I think it's important to provide some context to, to that. You know, Michigan State University is uh, one of the largest campus, one of the largest universities in the country. We've got 50,000 students here on campus. Uh, it is an open campus. Uh, and uh, what that means is that uh, during times when students are going to class, especially in the evening, uh, those buildings are are open, and that's nothing unusual. Um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, just important that uh, when we we see things like this happen, that uh, we we don't overreact with regard to uh, the, the the choices we need to make to to address these things. Here at Michigan State University, our police, uh, the MSU police, are ever present. They're everywhere. They're fully engaged. We see them all the time, and. That's what has has allowed students to feel safe here. Uh, so uh, it's nothing. It's not unusual that this individual is able to move from one building to the next, just as students do all the time. Uh, what's tragic here is that uh, this individual, who uh, clearly, uh, as we've learned from uh, uh, comments by his father, clearly had some serious mental health issues that led to this tragedy. Well, Sean, again, thank you very much. We're talking to Sean Turner. He's a professor at Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. We're glad you're okay. Um, Thoughts and prayers do go out to the victims' families of last night's tragedy. And uh, on a broader scale, um, we are hoping and praying that um, for this nation that this problem gets fixed sooner than later. Sean, thank you. Thank you, JJ. Couldn't agree more. Thank you for talking with me. 
That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, the heartbreaking tragedy in Turkey and Syria after the earthquake. Our teams were traveling around doing what they could to support in those, those early hours. Uh, and we recalled going past piles of rubble and, and people standing next to that rubble, hearing their families struggling inside, but just being absolutely ill-equipped, not having the ability to do anything about it. Kieran Barnes, country director for Mercy Corps in Syria. He joins us along with others to tell this story that still needs to be told and kept up with. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.